Almighty God, we come before you on this most blessed of days, the day where we honor and worship you as our risen King above all others. Every other Sunday is a reflection of this day, and so, uh, Lord, we come humbly and we ask that you would feed us with resurrection life and power this day. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I think you know what's about to happen. <laughs> Hallelujah! Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah! For a second there, I thought I thought y'all were going to let me down, but no, you came through. You came through. Well, this has been such a wonderful holy week this year. It's so glorious to to travel this this journey with you, beginning in Lent, but especially during Holy Week. Uh, we've all made it. This is good. Uh, voice is still here and present. I thought we were going to lose it last night. Uh, if you didn't go to the vigil, uh, let me give you just kind of like for next year, make, you know, make plans to come. Uh, if you want to see your clergy almost be consumed in smoke and fire, uh, this is the service to come. This is why we're wearing different uh, vestments today, because ours are, uh, are, are maybe not singed, but, but they're not white anymore. Um, we had a wonderful time uh, last night as we worshipped our risen king. Uh, and if you were there last night, you're going to hear the same sermon this morning. So may God give you another word from it, I pray, by his spirit. The two passages that we looked at last night that we heard read this morning from Exodus chapter 14 and, and the, our gospel lesson from Matthew 28, these two passages I find remarkable because... Um, they show us how quickly we as the people of God can go from the highs of trusting God and his power in our lives that brings new life. I mean, Israel was experiencing that. The, the, the disciples experienced it throughout their life and their, the three years of Jesus' ministry. They experienced this not only in their own lives, but in the lives of others. And, and indeed, they were seeing the world being made new. Blind healed, the dead raised, Jesus commanding the seas, how quickly we can go from the highs of trusting God to the lows of fearful cowering at the forces of darkness and evil in this world. How quickly that turn. Just, if you would, just listen again to some of those portions from Exodus. How quickly the high of Passover turns into the low of being trapped between the Red Sea and this pursuing Egyptian army. But if we go back two verses prior to where our lesson started this morning, the verse 8 of chapter 14, we hear this. And again, this is after the Passover. After all the plagues that, Jesus, that God has demonstrated his power over creation and his dominance over the gods of Egypt and even over Pharaoh himself, None of those have any control over his creation. He controls it for the good of his people. So after all that, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel. They didn't know this was happening. All the while, the people of Israel were going out defiantly. This word here that's translated defiantly is, is more of an expression. Uh, it's with a raised right hand they went out. This is used in places in Numbers to describe a high-handed sin, 
against God, like a defiant sinning against God, as if you are victorious over God. We see it in ancient reliefs and stellas in the ancient world uh, when victorious, they depict victorious kings coming back and their armies are marching into their cities and they're raising their right hand in victory, defiance of the foes. Israel is leaving Egypt defiantly, the high of trusting God. But then just two small verses, quick, short verses later, we hear this. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And I think we can maybe read a little bit here behind the text to say they they took their eyes away from God who was with them. The people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they continued to be defiant, trusting God. Oh, wait. No. No. And they feared greatly. How quickly the high of trusting God can turn into that fearful, fearful cowering in the face of darkness. This for Israel produces not just this fear, but then they give expression to it. Listen to these remarkable words that they say. They said to Moses, I would hate to be Moses. Moses is getting all throughout Exodus and the Pentateuch. Moses is the, is the guy they come to, man, to be Moses. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt, out of slavery? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Those are remarkable words. How quickly we go from the high of trusting God to the low of fear that desires to be in bondage. We don't only just see this in Israel, though. We see it in Jesus' disciples. We were to go over back to Matthew's gospel, two chapters before where we heard our lesson this morning from Matthew 28. In Matthew 26, we're in Gethsemane. And the disciples go from the high of being with Jesus for three years, watching him teach this message of God's coming kingdom. And they're not just teaching it, but but demonstrating its present power by healing, casting out demons, and even just a few, I mean, days earlier than this, raising the dead again, bringing back Lazarus from the dead. They go from the high of the triumphal entry to the low of fear-ridden desertion of their Savior, of their Messiah, of their Lord. At the end of that section there where Jesus is betrayed by Judas and arrested in the garden, it ends before it transitions to a new scene with this simple sentence. Then all the disciples left him. They left him and fled. All the disciples left him and fled. How easily we move from the high of trusting God to the low of fearing the forces of darkness. And of course, we know the rest of the story. We know that in that same chapter, verse, chapter 26 of Matthew's gospel, Peter 
creeps back in the dark outside of where Jesus is being tried, and he denies his Lord three times. I never knew him. And we also know from John's gospel in chapter 20, verse 19, that on Holy Saturday, Jesus is now in the tomb. He is dead. He is dead. And the disciples are gathered in a room, cowering out of fear for the Jews. They've locked the doors. they barricaded themselves in. How quickly we go from the high of trusting God to the low, to the low of fearing the forces of darkness in this world. In both cases, fear arises in the people of God when God is the one who guides them into a place that seems like a dead end, to a cul-de-sac. God's the one leading Israel out and decides not to go this other direction, but to go to puts them in this place, runs them right into the dead end of the Red Sea. Jesus is the one that's been leading these disciples for three years who leads them up right to Gethsemane, to being betrayed, to his crucifixion, to his death on the cross. The fear that arises in these moments comes from a very real sense that God has abandoned you. In both cases, Israel and the disciples seem to think that God has abandoned them in these moments, that he leads you into hard or even painful circumstances, only to leave you alone to deal with it. Figure it out. All of us are acquainted with this fear to one degree or another. We may be doing everything right. We're following God. Just like Israel was doing, like the disciples were doing. We're following God, seeking his righteousness, seeking his kingdom, maybe even experiencing new life, transformation in our lives. And then we hit a wall. We come to a dead end, a cul-de-sac. We experience profound suffering or trial. We find ourselves between the Red Sea and a pursuing Egyptian army. We find ourselves huddled in a room on Holy Saturday reeling, reeling from the death of the one we had hung all our deepest hopes and dreams in fear. But this is an Easter sermon. That great word in the Bible, but. (laughs) But then, in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of the dead end of the cul-de-sacs of our lives, where fear all too easily clouds our vision, God sends his messengers. He sends them to speak a word of confident assurance to us. Moses was a messenger to the people. The angel of the Lord is a messenger to the the two Marys. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. The Lord fights for you. We heard that in Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14. Moses says this to people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Note what needs to take place before you can see God work. Don't be afraid. Fear so easily monopolizes our attention. We get so focused on the circumstance or on whatever it is that we're facing that's, that's really beyond our control and beyond our means to cope with. But yet we don't see the one who provides us 
the grace and the mercy to endure and to come out with life. Fear not, stand firm, and then see the salvation of the Lord, which he, so beautiful, will work for God works for you. Not as an employee, but he works for you today. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And we heard it also in Matthew's gospel, the, the two Marys. And, and by the way, I, I find it somewhat comical that this is just the other Mary. There's Mary Magdalene and then the other Mary. Lovely to be known as just the other Mary. But these two Marys, they come to the garden tomb and they find a remarkable sight. Hardened Roman soldiers paralyzed in fear. An angel in brilliant array standing and or sitting on uh, the stone that was rolled away. And he says to them, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus, the man who was crucified. He is not here. Do not be afraid. I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said, come and see. We need the messengers of God that tell us not to be afraid. To remind us in those moments that God is fighting for us. So that we can actually see the salvation that he is working for us that he is bringing about, that he has already brought about. And then finally, God just doesn't even leave it up to the messengers. Jesus gives voice himself, and he says in verse 10, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You are not abandoned, my disciples. Mary, the Marys, even the other Mary, you are not abandoned. Our scripture lessons this morning together proclaim one clear Easter message. The Lord fights for his people. The Lord fights for his people and he is victorious. He has not, he is not now, nor will he ever abandon us to be consumed by the forces of darkness and death. He will not leave you to be consumed by your own sin. He redeems you even from that. He will not allow you to be consumed by the circumstances of life, even when they seem to be all-consuming. These two events in history, in human history, God's redemption of Israel through the crossing of the Red Sea and the destruction of the Egyptian army, and God's redemption of humanity through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, these two events... With the former foreshadowing the latter, these two events proclaim confidently and without doubt that God fights for his people. We had several baptisms last night. And what happens in our baptisms is that God, in essence, signs his adoption papers on our foreheads. When we are signed and sealed with the name of God, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've been baptized. We've been regenerate. God has given us his grace, and he signs us with his name. You are mine. You are my child forever. He fights for his children, as any parent would. He comes to their aid, battling against the forces of evil, darkness, and death. And we see that most clearly in Jesus. 
these forces that would crush us. And that desire for God's plan for creation and redemption to be thwarted. Now, there's an ancient... There's an ancient Easter sermon from the second century that so beautifully and profoundly portrays this gospel truth, this Easter reality that God fights for his people. And so bear with me. I'm going to read it. It's not long. It proclaims that God fights for justice, that he will set the world to rights. He fights for life and flourishing, and he wins. It proclaims that he goes to the furthest extent possible for his people. And we need to hear this. Just listen to the truth and wisdom of this ancient sermon. What is happening? Today there is great silence over the earth. A silence and stillness. A great stillness because the king sleeps. The earth was in terror and was still because God slept in the flesh and raised up those who were sleeping from the ages. God has died in the flesh and the underworld has trembled. Truly, he goes to seek out our first parent like a lost sheep. He wishes to visit those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. He goes to free the prisoner Adam and his fellow prisoner Eve from their pains, he who is God and Adam's son. The Lord goes into them holding his victorious weapon, his cross, when Adam, the first created man, sees him, he strikes his breast in terror and calls out to all, My Lord be with you all. And Christ, in reply, says to Adam, And with your spirit. And grasping his hand, in Jesus grasping Adam's hand, he raises him up, saying, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. I am your God, who for your sake became your son. Who for you and your descendants now speak and command with authority those in prison, come forth. And those in darkness have light, and those who sleep rise. I command you, awake sleeper. I have not made you to be held a prisoner in the underworld. Arise from the dead. I am the life of the dead. Arise, O man, work of my hands. Arise, you who were fashioned in my image. Rise, let us go hence for you and me, and I in you. Together we are one undivided person. For you, I, your God, became your son. For you, I, the master, took on your form, that of a slave. For you, I, who am above the heavens, came on earth and under the earth. For you, man, I became as a man, without help, free among the dead. For you, who left a garden, I was handed over to Jews from a garden and crucified in a garden. Look at the spittle on my face, which I received because of you, in order to restore you to that first divine inbreathing at creation. See the blows on my cheeks which I accepted in order to refashion your distorted form into my own image. See the scourging of my back, which I accepted in order to disperse the load of your sins, which was laid upon your back. See my hands nailed to the tree for a good purpose. 
for you who stretched out your hand to the tree for an evil one. I slept on the cross and a sword pierced my side for you who slept in paradise and brought forth Eve from your side. My side healed the pain of your side. My sleep will release you from your sleep in Hades. My sword has checked the sword that was turned against you. But arise, let us go hence. The enemy brought you out of the land of paradise. I will reinstate you no longer in paradise. But on the throne of heaven, I denied you the tree of life, which was a figure, but now I myself am united to you, I who am life. I posted the cherubim to guard you as they would slaves. Now I make the cherubim worship you as they would God. The cherubim throne has been prepared. The bearers are ready and waiting. The bridal chamber is in order. The food is provided. The everlasting houses and rooms are in readiness. The treasures of good things have been opened. The kingdom of heaven has been prepared before the ages. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Christ Church, we will face increasing pressures from within and without the church to abandon our risen Lord as the disciples did in Gethsemane out of fear. We will increasingly feel pressure to turn back in fear like Israel to the bondage we were held in by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Slavery that God has freed us from through Jesus' death and resurrection. So please hear clearly, Christ Church, this Easter. Do not be afraid. For Jesus, the one who descended to the dead, he is with you. He fights for you. You need to know this. He has already won the battle. So for us, we must live in his victory with thanksgiving and joy. Instead of being blinded by fear like Israel or the disciples, let the fearful worship of the victorious and risen king open our eyes to this glorious reality of the new creation, of the resurrection. And may we be like those two Marys, who when they hear their Lord say greetings, they fall on their face in fearful and joyful worship, and they grab onto his legs. So this coming Easter, hold nothing back. Hold nothing back. Feast. This is your homework for the next 50 days. This is your assignment. Go to the store. Put a budget line for Easter food and wine, okay? And go and feast, and may our proclamation of the gospel in joy and reverie be a demanding sign of the coming kingdom. May it be a defiant act in the face of darkness and fear. So rejoice. Feast these 50 days. Feast, for Christ is risen. Feast, for he is no longer dead, and feast, for he has raised you from the dead to new life in him. Feast, feast, 
feast. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.